This, this, this is you. K U T. K U T. Austin. Stop. I used to get. And welcome to Higher Ed, KUT's podcast focusing on issues of higher education, lifelong learning, and exercising the brain. I'm Jennifer Staten with KUT 90.5, Austin's NPR station, talking as always with Dr. Ed Berger, president of Southwestern University in Georgetown, Texas. Hello, Ed. Hello, Jennifer. It's always so good to be with you. How are you today? I am doing pretty well. How are you? Uh, I'm great. Uh, and something interesting happened recently in uh, in my class, and and I'm I'm hoping that, that you want to talk about. Well, this. I'm hoping that whatever <laughs> you wanted to talk about, that maybe I can I can I can push you off your game for this episode because I found this. And recently, we had talked about adding the adjective. We did as a practice of effective thinking, and in some sense, this comes out of that. And I found it very thought provoking. But I don't I don't want to interrupt you. Well, or the... let's no, let's go for it. This sounds very timely, so let's let's do this okay. one this week instead. So we can go off script. We as, can go as if as if we actually have a script. Right. Okay. Tell me what happened. Okay, so so recently uh, I was sharing with you and our listeners about this um, mindful practice of adding the adjectives to add descriptors. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways that I have my students practice this so they become better at it is at the beginning of each class, I would show a quote, a not-so-famous quote from a famous individual. I wouldn't reveal who said the quote at first, so I just show the quote. And then ha- have them spend about a minute or two trying to add as many adjectives to describe what the quote is saying, what the quote means, or what the quote means to the individual reading it, and then not leave that descriptor until they have a new insight into the quote, they see something they hadn't seen before in the quote, and somehow they've changed or, or see it more deeply. And then we discuss it for, for a bit, and people share their adjectives and descriptors, and it's always fascinating. It's, you know, they're amazing students at Southwestern, as you know. And then at the very end, just for fun, we do the reveal, who Uh who said it. And people like to guess, and it becomes dramatic, and then I slowly move the page up on the document camera until the very bottom of the page where the quote is revealed, and then people Mm -hmm. get excited because some are right, some are wrong, it's interesting, and so forth. And so we've had fun with this um, this past fall. But something happened recently that I found really thought-provoking, and and it led to a a discussion in the class the following week, which was uh, one occasion I gave a quote... Uh, by Helen Keller. Mm -hmm. And as you can imagine, it was a very um, determined quote because this is a very determined individual that has overcome so much in her life. And so it was a very strong quote. It was a very forceful quote, but it was a quote that was uh, about, you know, it was positivity, but it Uh was strong. And so I had them talk about it, da-da-da-da. I mean, you know, think about it and then talk about it. And and it was interesting that while the conversation was going on, they themselves gave a gender to the to the individual. I was wondering if that came up because of the way you're describing the quote. Exactly. Can I take yes. a guess? Did people assume it was a quote from a man? Absolutely. So this, so the the, the people, this my students kept saying, "Well, he meant this, and he meant without even." And so at the end, I said, "Well, first of all, how many of you think this person was?" A male, and then almost everyone raised their hand, and how many female, and a couple people. But so it was 
Most clearly, people, clearly yeah. a man. And and then I showed the the reveal, and everyone, of course, was surprised and delighted by the fact that it was Helen Keller who actually made this very powerful quote. And what was interesting is what happened next, because I had some students say, oh, well, now that I know it was Helen Keller, I like the quote a lot more. They liked it more because it came from a woman than a man? No, 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 no. No, that was just a separate, that was kind of a separate surprise. But that the, the force of the, and I wish I had the quote in front of me, but the force of the quote was such that it it seemed like it could have come from like a dictator. Huh. And so people thought this must be coming from an individual who is not a force of good in their mind's eye. And so therefore, I don't like the quote that much. The moment that some of them discovered that Helen Keller um, said this, then all of a sudden they looked at it again and said, oh, well, now I actually get it and I like it. And so the following week when we had we returned to this conversation, I actually brought this back up to the class. And I said, what do we think about that, that we are biased by, by authorship rather than the work or the thing itself? And, and I, you know, typically when you're looking for a really bad person, you use like Adolf Hitler. And I didn't want to go that bad. So I used Mussolini, you know, but still not a great guy. And I said, you know, what if this quote were to have been said by Mussolini? Would you then dislike the quote more than if it were Helen Keller? And it really led to an interesting conversation about how we, I think all, not just my students, but all of us are biased to not just look at the thing maybe in a vacuum, but also kind of what's behind it and what's beyond it and how that will change the identical thing and that we look at one thing and say oh I like it or hate it and then look at it again and say oh I hate it or I like it well it, yes it's definitely interesting because we certainly bring our own assumptions to looking at anything like that without the full context of it well 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 that's true and of course context matters obviously but what if something can live without context like a, a kind of a quote of that sort that is self-contained. Well, then what does it mean to you? And and the challenge I made to them is, is it possible that there's some self-contained quote of Mussolini that if you just read that quote, you would say, well, yeah, that that's meaningful to me or I find that uplifting or whatever. But then you discover Mussolini said it and you're like, oh my goodness. And then the students even said, well, I, I don't want to be tagged with liking a bad person or a person that that I perceive as in a negative light, which which I think we all can empathize with. But it does raise the question that, is it possible that that we can find um, interesting or good elements in people that maybe we don't completely agree with? And then what, and how does that complicate the discussion or the conversation? Well, one thing that that we have talked about and learned over time is when you're trying to solve a particularly vexing puzzle, one of the things you've always suggested is to sort of take it to its simplest element. Right. So if we take it out of the Mussolini, Hitler, (laughs) Helen Keller realm, let's bring it. I don't think those three were ever, ever linked together in the history of human. No, I don't think they have been other than perhaps in a discussion about this particular (laughs) quote. But so let's take it out of an incredibly charged realm and bring it to like a basic realm, like I like cats or I like dogs. Right. Like we have talked a lot mm. about about empathy, l- learning to see sort of somebody else's point of view and right. how we've discussed that. We've discussed sort of civil discourse. Yes. And how that's key to 
sort of creating spaces and places where we can talk with people that we don't agree with. Share thoughtful ideas. Right, share thoughtful ideas without having a screaming match and yelling at each other. So what's interesting to me also about that discussion is and sort of the path that you took it is that, well, this sounds like sort of another way to get at that idea of how do we coexist with people whose ideas are different than ours. I'm not talking about such yeah. extreme examples, yeah, yeah. but perhaps different political parties. Well, that's so. I really find this interesting, and I love the fact that you're looking at a simple case, which, of course, is one of the the, the the practices that we try to suggest. So I love that, and I love this idea of you know I love cats, and so suppose that came from an individual who you were debating on some kind of social or political issue where you had two different perspectives and all of a sudden that person says that and you also let's assume like cats oh i I love cats okay so then that's not even assumption anymore well i mean so then is it good that there's a common ground even though it has nothing to do with whatever the more serious debate is at hand that we can share that bit of humanity that we are in fact human or you know in today's world is that a bad thing how well you know some of my students were saying well i don't want to be tagged to be connected with that person, of course, that was extreme. Uh, in the simpler case where you just have someone with a different point of view, is it is it okay to be tagged? And I think that's a really thought-provoking question that you're raising. Well, as a, and as I said, I think it does get us in that area of discussing, well, how do we coexist and talk civilly with people that we don't agree with? And I think finding those common points of, of interest hmm. can be one of the ways yeah. to do that. That's interesting. Um, you know, another possible common point of interest could be solving these puzzlers. <laughs> I, I, love, withheld I, love my, your, I love your segue. Well, I withheld my <laughs> adjective I, oh, well, that I wanted to share. Wonderful. Because I want to keep it at least PG-13. Gripping, okay. riveting puzzles. Look at those all the are, adjectives I can throw out those there. Those are all very acceptable adjectives. Uh, let me remind our listeners of what we, uh, what we suggested for uh, last time, where, in fact, you were adding the adjectives left and right. Yes. And I think we had some insights <laughs> there. So yes. uh, you have a wonderful cake. And what you want to do is you want to, with just three straight cuts, there's an adjective, with three straight cuts uh, through the cake, you want to cut the cake into eight pieces. And the question is, how would you do this? And you added a bunch of adjectives and you tried a few things and... and, um, And where are we now? Okay, so I do... I have a possible solution. Great. Um, So I will just lay it out there and then we can discuss it. So the adjectives that we first went through were sort of describing the kind of cake. Is it a layer cake? Is Mm -hmm. it a sheet cake? Right. And then we talked about describing the kind of cut. Is it is it sort of perpetual? Can it be curvy? And then we clarified straight cuts. So, right, because, because just to make sure our listeners understand, if you can be very curvy, then you can cut the cake into one, as many into pieces as you want pieces. with one, just right. one cake. Right. Just keep lowering it back on itself. Forever, right. Yes, exactly. So, so here's, here is what I, I – so the answer, I think, is yes. Okay. So here's what you do. So you've got the cake. Yes. It's out on a plate. Okay. So Uh-oh. slice one – I'm just sort of, I'm assuming a sheet cake. Okay, sheet okay. cake is fine. So slice one – you know, down, so I'll say vertically, 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 okay, in the center, yeah. one horizontally, one horizontally, and then one through the middle. Exactly. And you get one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So, so, and this works, even you know, if it's not a sheet cake, of course, you can cut um, straight down in one direction, then straight down in a perpendicular direction, and then just cut the cake in half in terms of its thickness. So yes. if you were at, so that's brilliant. So congratulations, first of all, Jennifer, you always get these things right. Um, that is not true. Well, in my, <laughs> when I rewrite history. Okay. Your revision is history <laughs> exactly. of the puzzlers. Exactly. Okay. But, but notice that if we were to have add the adjectives and to describe the cake, we might've described the cake as a three-dimensional cake. 
And in all the drawings that you had last time, they were all two-dimensional. Right. And so if you were to think about the, the height of the cake, you can actually slice kind of, you know, parallel to the table. Now, you don't typically do that because you want icing. You know, so there's bias, of course, which right. also illustrates oh, the I'm bias. Pro, I'm pro-icing. I'm huge so, icing. In yeah. fact, the, the only reason why you have cake is to hold the icing. Right. It's, it's a vehicle a, for the icing. It, correct. Right. Exactly. But that was never said that we want to divide it kind of that way. So you, you describe it as a as a, a three-dimensional cake, and then you could just ask yourself, well, what are all the directions that I could cut the cake in? And then, then you see those three different directions, and that's it. Well, it's so interesting, because this kind of takes us back to the beginning of the conversation in a way, because I made a big assumption. I assumed a 3D cake. I didn't even think I had to to verbalize that because I assumed, you know, 3D all along. And that in some ways is the simplest thing about the cake. Exactly. I mean, and the forget most, what kind it is. And the most central to the solution of this, right. right? And so again, understanding simple things deeply, do not have a blind spot to that which is just so apparent or obvious. But by saying it, it then forces you to take a moment or a beat or be really mindful and take a few moments to really think about what does that mean to have a, the height of the cake? Oh, I could cut the height in half. Once you cut the height in half, you basically have two cakes. And so if you cut it into two pieces like that, you get eight pieces. All right. Pass the forks, Ed. It's cake time. Oh. Did you, you, didn't you bring one? No, I'm trying Dude. to be good. I've, I've, got to, I've got to do another video shoot. I've got to do another math video shoot. And, and so I've got to get into this costume and it's like... A fitting costume. It, fitting, oh yeah, I, I wear a you know I wear a tie and a shirt. And oh, I thought you meant like math man or something. Well, that would be awesome, but <laughs> no, it's, it's the same tie and the same shirt. And it turns out that uh, that the the shirt and the vest uh, were designed for a slightly thinner Ed Burger, and so I'm gonna have to like a sausage get myself into this. So there's no cake today. I'm sorry. You can have cake, but well, I cannot. Thank you, Ed. Maybe cake next time. Thank cake. you, Ed, for helping us keep our brain sharp. Dr. Ed Berger is president of Southwestern University in Georgetown, Texas. You can find out more at southwestern.edu. And you can keep your brain busy by keeping up with the news and other episodes of Higher Ed at KUT.org and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jennifer Staten, KUT News. KUT News.